0: To your word, God, and come together and worship you, and God, I pray, as we go through and and look at this uh, this tenth uh, commandment of progressive Christianity, I pray that we would uh, be able to see the truth that we can then teach to the world that might be uh, that might be falling for these these half truths these these really lies God, I pray that as we go into your word and see what your word says, that we would again remember that that is the foundation that is what we need to build everything on in our lives, God. And, and when we have questions about these kind of things, uh, we must always go back to your word. So I pray that as we do this, as we look over this, I pray that um, we would, again, just be able to use wisdom. If there's any of us here who know somebody who might believe these things, I pray that you would give us uh, the wisdom and uh, the patience and the understanding of how to, to share with them and, and show them what's wrong, but do it in love as well, God. So again, I just thank you for tonight. Thank you for bringing us all out. And uh, just bless the remainder of the service. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <coughs> so uh, as uh, you may or may not know, we are finishing up. We have the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments of progressive Christianity that we've been going through. Uh, For the last, um, I guess it's not exactly nine weeks. I think we had a week off here or there uh, for different reasons snow, whatever it might be. Um, But we are going to be finishing up with the tenth one tonight. So, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, we aren't going to get to uh, the passage just quite yet. But if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Um, So, Uh, Just to kind of recap a little bit, I'm not going to go through all nine commandments that we've already gone through. We're not going to review all of them, Um, but really just going to kind of touch on the general aspect of what we've been studying when it comes to these uh, ten commandments of progressive Christianity. So uh, another way that we have been referring to this, uh, progressive Christianity was another term. Does anybody know what that term is? liberal, uh, just the liberal way of thinking. Okay. Um, so liberal as opposed to conservative way of thinking when it comes to Christianity. So we've been talking about these 10 commandments, these 10 tenants, basically just foundational things of, uh, progressive Christianity. And what we've been getting this from is a book that was written. Um, does anybody remember the names of the two people? There's one good guy, one bad guy. My, yep, Krueger's the good guy. Does anybody know the, the bad guy's name? Call him the bad guy. So uh, that's my fault. There are kind of two two guys. Uh, the the one main guy is Gully, Gully. But Roar was was another one. Um, Roar was uh, the guy that we watched in the videos, I believe, in the first or the second week, whatever it was. Um, but basically, Gully, roar they would be the ones that are of the mind of the progressive Christianity, the liberal Christianity. And uh, Kruger, he's the one who wrote uh, a book kind of exposing these different things. These things that are, as we've seen, um, there's always a hint of truth in what they're saying. To where on the surface, if you hear it and don't really break it down too much and you just take it for face value, it might seem, okay, yeah, that seems, that seems right. Um, because, again, they're, they're saying good things. Uh, but at the same time, we think about how does how does the devil work, right? How does he work when it comes to temptation? Um, one thing that I always use as an example when I'm talking to the teens about temptation is well, for one thing, different people are d- different people are tempted by different things, right? I might not be as interested in certain things that somebody else might be, to where that might not tempt me at all. So me personally, I absolutely do not like mushrooms. So mushrooms don't tempt me in the slightest, okay? Um, You could try to convince me otherwise, but my grandma always used to say when there was mushrooms in food, she was like, oh, go ahead and just eat it. You can't even taste it. I would say, then why are we putting it in there? What does it bring into the table? Um, She didn't have an answer for that. But uh, so anyway, uh, something like mushrooms is not going to tempt me at all. But things that I really like, Okay. Uh, whatever that might be. I mean, I think just about everybody likes ice cream, right? Ice cream is going to be tempting. It's, it's, uh, desirable. It looks good. I want that. Wh- however you want to say it. That's the same way that the devil works. The devil is not going to put something out that is not enticing to us at all. So the fact that these, these 10 commandments of progressive Christianity, they all sound good. Again, the devil's using these to be able to kind of infiltrate. And the, the really scary thing is these aren't super prevalent in the world outside of the church. They're actually mostly prevalent within the church, and then the church is kind of reaching out into the world from there. And that's really kind of the scary thing, but also um, it, could, it should be this, when we think about this, it should motivate us to want to stand up for the truth and be vocal about it, uh, because uh, more and more nowadays there's people who are just going to be talking about these things, because, again, we have itching ears. We like to hear things that make us happy. So... Um, we've, again, tonight is the 10th commandment of these 10 commandments that we're going to be looking at. So the 10th commandment, and I'll repeat it a couple times. It's not as long as some of the other ones that we've had, uh, but I'll repeat it a couple of times in case you want to write it down for yourself. So the 10th commandment of progressive Christianity is life in this world is more important than the afterlife. Life in this world is more important than the afterlife. So um, real quick before I get into, you know, talking about what this is really saying, based on if you've been here for really any of the ones we've gone through already, based on what we've heard as far as what their defense might be when somebody challenges them on this, what might their defense be on this? When they say life in this world is more important than the afterlife, what might their defense be?
1: Mm-hmm. So, like, in the sense of, like, there's people starving now, there's people that are
0: homeless now, there's people that are need clothing now, mm-hmm. kind of thing, and that matters because, like, maybe in eternity, like, they're going to be sent there. I don't know what they would do. <clears throat> so, I would say the key word, that, that's, that's correct. Obviously, you know, they, they really, those are all things, again, those are all things that are true, right? Those are things that need to be addressed. Um, but at the same time, those are also things that uh, also play towards people's emotions, And, you know, talking about people that are hungry and starving. Um, And so right off the bat, they're saying, look, we want to do all these good things. But the key word here is, or I guess the key two words, is more important. So they would say, we're not saying that the afterlife isn't important. We're just saying that the present life in this world is more important. All right. So with that in mind, and we're going to touch on that in a little bit as well. With that in mind, what is this really saying? So the confessional statement... Best summarizes the whole of progressive Christianity. So this, this last 10th commandment really kind of summarizes a lot of their, you know, if you had an overarching kind of, uh, I guess, belief that drives them. And uh, that is an emphasis not on where you will spend eternity, but an emphasis on just making this life as good and pleasant for others. As good and pleasant for others. That's where they're putting the emphasis on. Making this life as good and pleasant for others. And Avi touched on that, talking about taking care of the people around us. And if we were to go back and look at all the other nine commandments, there's a lot of that. A lot of focusing on loving others and being nice. We, right, we don't want to offend anybody. Completely ignoring the fact that, I mean, we, we just talked about this morning of all the people that were criticizing and persecuting Jesus... A lot of them, and you know, the, even the religious leaders, they were doing this probably because they were feeling conviction from the things that he was saying. Okay? The truth of God's word is going to offend people. It's going to convict you. But that's because that's God revealing to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that the, what, we do, what we're doing when we're sinning is wrong. So this whole idea of not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings, take care of everybody, uh, that's what their emphasis is on. Again, they're not saying where you spend eternity isn't important. Or that we shouldn't think about it. They're just putting more of an emphasis on making this life as good and pleasant for others. So if we're trying to make it as good and pleasant for others, we're not going to tell them things that... We're not going to tell them that they're sinners, right? Because that's not going to make life pleasant for them. They're going to feel uncomfortable when we tell them that. So, again, the, the, key, the main point here uh, is the more important to explain that the afterlife is still important. But not as important as the way we live our lives here and now. Um, so is this life more important than the life to come? And put that out to you. Is this life more important than the, the life to come? I think we would all kind of give the same answer of no. But why, why would we say that this life is not more important than the life to come? There's a lot You know, your life is a mist. It's, mm-hmm. today, it's like a vapor. It's, you know, the flower field. You know, like, it is just so brief And that's the end of the of what the Bible
1: teaches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the ones that come to know him i mean like I, it's actually shocking to me that this is one of the things that they say because i mean if you are just nice to
0: people and feed them and love them mm-hmm. and make their life so comfortable here you're, you're damning them to hell forever. yeah yes. yep and we're actually going to kind of touch on that last part of of, of hell but the, the very first thing you said um it seems like such a simple answer to the question, but that's what, at least for me, and I, I believe just based on how discussion has gone as we've gone through this uh, for, for most of us, that is so kind of infuriating about this teaching is you said, because the Bible says so, right? It seems like such a simple Sunday school answer, but the reason that it seems that way and that that's the actual answer is because they're not basing it on the Bible. And like you said, you see so many times throughout the Bible that talking, focusing on eternity Jesus, when he's teaching and preaching, he's focusing on eternity. And he said we were born with eternity in our hearts. So in that, uh, I, I saw a video a while back, and it was one of those uh, videos where somebody goes on the street. I believe they went on a college campus, and they're just interviewing people, uh, asking them, like, do you believe in God? Or what kind of, what do you believe in, basically? But a lot of what comes back, the answers that comes back, is that it's very clear that people are, tr- are looking for something. They're searching for an answer of why we're here. And the reason that that everybody does that, regardless of where they look to find it, is because God created us to want to have a relationship with him. They just don't know that they're seeking and searching for that relationship with him. They know they're trying to find something, but they don't know exactly what it is. That's why, as Christians, we need to make sure that we're doing our part in sharing the gospel. Because how are they going to hear without a preacher? Um, but this idea that it, it's, again, to us... if if we study the Bible, it's very clear. It's, it's almost like, you know, in, in school teachers would always say there's no such thing as a dumb question. Um, to us, this might seem like a dumb question of why is the next life more important than this? But that's how kind of crazy, but also infuriating is that this is a teaching that is building up within the church. And it's all because we're not basing what we want what we believe and what we teach on what the Bible says is completely based on making others comfortable. So, um, and then also, what is this really saying? Well, we must agree that decisions we make in our physical lives here and now, they do have an impact on the afterlife. Now, how is that? Well, if we receive Jesus as our Savior and we're saved in this life and that means that we spend eternity in heaven. So things that we do, decisions that we make in this life, do have an effect on the afterlife. If we reject Christ, we spend an eternity in hell. Um, Or as John 3.18 says, we're condemned already. So, also I want to note that the Apostle Paul, he emphasizes that the the works that we do for and in Christ, they will be judged uh, with fire and the things for Christ will remain. Uh, following this judgment of the judgment of the works, not salvation, not the judgment of salvation, because that's settled in Christ. But the judgment of the works, we will be rewarded. Real quick, I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You don't have to turn there if you want to write it down, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 15. It says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another building there uh, buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation uh, can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by the fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So here, Paul, he's talking about this aspect of the foundation is Christ and the the things that we build upon that of our salvation. Those, if you want to think of them that way, as Paul's talking about, are the works that we do for Christ. And he even goes on, he specifically says that make sure you're building these things on Christ. That Christ is the foundation, right? Paul, he also talks about when he's dealing uh, with how some are claiming that they are followers of Paul. Some say that they're followers of Apollos, right? They have these conflicting sides of saying, well, we're going after these people. Paul is trying to emphasize that we need to say that we're followers of Jesus, okay? He said, I planted, uh, Apollos, you know, watered, and God gave the increase. And what he's saying is... uh, if in whatever we do, if we're involved in some kind of ministry or however we are serving God uh, while we're here on this earth, if that aspect of our life if that ministry that we're involved in, if, if I'm in a ministry and the foundation is me and I'm building all these things on, on this, the necessity of me being there, then when I leave and go a different place or when I die and I'm gone, that's going to crumble. Everybody's going to be looking like, well, he, he's gone. What are we going to do? But if the foundation is Jesus then that's going to carry on. And that's why he's emphasizing here in 1 Corinthians 3 that we need to build upon the foundation of Jesus. And all those things that we build on him, those are our works. Those are what's going to be judged, and it's all going to be judged by fire, and fire is what's going to be left. So again, that's another example of how our decisions, the things that we do here in this life, will affect the afterlife, because that's going to be judged at some point. Um, Also note that we can agree... That actions and decisions in this life they will affect the afterlife. Yet, that does that does or does that mean that we should see this life as more important than the life to come? So, yes, we can accept and acknowledge that things that we do in this life will affect the life to come, but that does not mean that this life is then more important than the life to come. I said we were going to be in John 14, so if you're already there. Awesome. Let me just get. So John chapter 14 we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says let not your heart be troubled ye believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also and whither I go ye know and the way ye know Thomas saith unto him Lord we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh cometh unto the Father but by me. So here, how would Jesus answer this question of what life is more important, this one or the one to come? Well, we see here in this passage that he's talking, he's telling the disciples, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare this place for you. This is where we're going to abide. Why would he be spending the time here talking about that and He's talking about he's going to prepare this place. Jesus is going to prepare this place. And if he's putting the time into doing that, that's telling them that this is what is more important. Okay? And, we again, we see in, in leading up to his time on the cross and, and ascending back into heaven, we see him continually preparing the disciples of letting them know that, one, he's not going to be here on this earth forever. Um, but he does leave a comforter. And the comforter is here for what? To to be with us so that we have that connection with God the Father While we are still here on this earth until we reach the the end point of what we as Christians, as followers of Christ, the really the reward, the true reward of our salvation, spending eternity with him. So Jesus would answer this question by saying, listen, the next life, the next life to come is the one that's more important because that's where I'm going. I'm going to prepare that place. And if we were to continue to reading through the Bible and to get to the end of the Bible and read about what's to come, this world—it's all going to fade away. It's all going to burn up. And so, if this is—if this place is the one that's more important, why is that? This the one that burns up, fades away, goes away, and where Jesus is, where He's going to prepare that place. Why is that the one that then lasts forever? Now, how about Paul? We already saw a little bit about what Paul would say, but what else would Paul say when asked this question of, "Is this life?" More important than the one to come. Go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be next. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to see Paul's answer to this question. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses twenty to through twenty-six. And do I have a volunteer who would like to read those verses for us? Philippians one twenty through twenty-six. All right, Avi. Uh 26. On okay. uh, knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I
1: can continue to help only grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason
0: to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. All right. So now two main things I want to pull out of this passage specifically. First of all is the fact that Paul says, yes, it's great to, to be living because while he's living, he can be using that time to serve God. But he says it's even greater for him to die because he says to die would mean that he's then in eternity with Christ. So he's, again, he actually literally puts out the two options of this life we're in now and what's going to happen after he dies. And he says it's far better for him to die and be with God. But the second thing that I want to pull out is he says, but... He, he, he kind of is conflicted a little bit because he wants to continue to stay here so that he can serve these people. Um, and he even goes on to say that while he is here, he's going to spend the time, again, ministering to them, and it's for their faith. So, yes, he says it's far better to die because then I'm going to be with Christ. But while I am here, not only am I going to serve God while I'm here, but he's serving God in the, in the capacity of ministering to the Philippians so that they can spend eternity with God. Right. So he's telling them, listen, I enjoy, I love you guys. You guys are great. I love being here, but it would be far better if I were to be with God forever. But while I am here, I'm going to devote my time to ministering to you so that you can then have that exact same experience of realizing that once you get to that, that next life with God in eternity, it's very, very clear that the previous one was nowhere near as as rewarding, um, as important. Um, again, it is important, but it's not as important as, uh, the, the next life. And that's, what's, I, I guess, one of the, one of the more, I guess, sad thoughts that come to mind when we think about the people who believe something like this, that this life is more important than the next. When they get to that, the, that next life after they die, they're, it's, they're learning the hard way. You know, if they don't put their faith in Christ, they're going to end up learning the hard way, much like a child who puts their hand on a stove, right? Now, what they would experience is far greater than that, that sort of pain. But they're learning the hard way by saying, oh, I guess, you know, the, the Bible is right. The people who were trying to tell me this, they were right. And so they're, they're going to learn the hard way. But in both of these texts, when it comes to Jesus and Paul, they both place a high value on the life that is to come and how to know with confidence where we will spend eternity, Yet there is also an emphasis on Christ being magnified in my body. We saw that with Paul. Um, Whether it be by life, this physical life, or in death. So again, Paul, he put that emphasis on the fact that he can still magnify, glorify God while he is still alive in this life. So again, that's also to, to say that, yes, this life is important. But the one that's to come is more important. That's why we need to spend the life that we have here thinking about that, planning for that, witnessing to others so that they can have that. Next life in mind as well. Again, it's not an either or, much like with many of the other uh, commandments that we've looked at. It's not an either or, it's both, both of these. But again, this life is only important because we need to use it to plan for the next life by putting our faith and trust in Christ. So we trust Christ for our eternal salvation, which produces works or fruits in this life by His grace and for His glory. So, That's what uh, this whole 10th commandment of life in this world is more important than the afterlife. That's what is really saying. And uh, now if we were to go back to Gully and what he says, um, Gully and the progressives view on how they arrive at this commandment. I'm going to kind of summarize of how they kind of get to this. You know, we already said, well, the Bible says this It's, It's pretty plain. It's pretty clear. We looked at two different examples, Jesus and Paul giving reasons as to why. This life is not more important than the next. So how is it that Gully and the progressives, they come to this commandment? Well, number one, and again, this is something that we've seen kind of across multiple of the commandments. Prioritizing the horizontal over the vertical. So they're prioritizing the horizontal, their interactions with men, above the vertical, their interactions with God. So the real problem in humanity, as seen by the progressives, is not that we are sinners in need of a savior... But that humanity has disease, war, and poverty. So, Avi touched on this when she was talking about how, well, what might their defense be. And that's, well, look around. The, the problem isn't that we're sinners. We have all these things going on around us. Poverty, war, uh, hunger, all these different things. And this is a disease that humanity has. And so we need to address and heal this disease. Now, for those of us who know what the Bible says... They're not entirely wrong because these are things that are a product of the fall. So because sin entered in the world, these things are then a consequence. But they're not addressing the original cause of these things. They're just saying, these are problems. And we can agree, these things are problems. We need to fix them. And I think we see that in our world many times. And, you know, when horrible things happen in our world, everybody says, why, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And we know that it's, it's a result of sin, really. And so... But if we were to just come out and say, well, it's because sin, this is a result of that sin, Um, that's not going to come off as very nice, right? We're no longer concerned about the feelings of these other people, and we're going to seem inconsiderate, and we're just trying to beat them over the head and all these different things. But the truth of the matter is these things are a result of sin. But they, they say that sin is not the problem. We just have, a, as humanity, we have a disease, and it's and we have well, we have disease and war and poverty, uh, hunger, all these things. The highest ideal then becomes fixing these issues for the good of humanity. So now we have a whole other aspect that's coming into the situation. We recognize this is a problem, so let's us go ahead and fix it. Now we're relying on our own abilities. This is the same thing as basically trying to gain salvation by works. That's true. It, that, that's the other thing, right? Is that it, it's the person who comes in. There's a group of people looking around and be like, we really got a problem. And everyone's trying to come up with a solution and be like, I got a solution. Well, what's the solution? Let's fix it. Like oh, You're not giving us anything, right? That's kind of what, what they're, they're, they're coming to and just saying, we got to fix these issues for the good of humanity. That sounds great. You sound like a hero. This is exactly what we need. Um, the thing is, as, as we've talked about already, somebody already did that. Somebody already came to fix the problem of sin, and we're ignoring the book that tells us about him. So note that Gully speaks of preaching and teaching on the afterlife – As a preoccupation. So when he's preaching and teaching about the afterlife. It's a preoccupation. And also says. That fortunes are spent. Saving people from. Listen to this. The imaginary dangers. Of imaginary places. So he says that. Preaching and teaching on the afterlife. Is a preoccupation. And fortunes are spent. Saving people from the imaginary dangers. Of imaginary places. So. Again, that's, he's saying an awful lot, and he, he's sounding like somebody who's trying to present some kind of solution, saying, by labeling something as a preoccupation and labeling, labeling something as imaginary. And I'm just here to fix those problems of saying we got to get rid of these things. But notice that word imaginary. As progressives have generally dismissed any notion of hell or punishment for sin. By referring to this imaginary dangers of imaginary places, the fact that he's not even mentioning hell is also another telling sign, right? He's, he's, he's trying to gloss over it to where even just in the words of how he refers to it. It's not as bad of a place. It's an imaginary danger from imaginary places. So this word imaginary, what does this lead to using this word imaginary? Well, preaching moralism and not salvation, so moralism and not salvation is is what how they also arrive to this 10th commandment of this life being more important than the next. They preach moralism and not salvation. If there's nothing after this life, okay, if there's nothing after this, then all we have is this life to do the best we can to help as many as we can, okay? So again, think about if, if you eliminate this imaginary place of imaginary dangers— if we were to eliminate hell, and we don't ever talk about it, and we refer to it as imaginary, basically saying it's not real, that, again, first of all, it's a a, bolt, a blatant lie. And by telling people this, they're just going to end up in that place. They're going to end up in hell because of the sin, and we're not addressing the sin. But instead, we're focusing on just making this life the best we can to help as many as we can. And eliminating that place of hell... It makes things a lot easier because, again, now we're not having to tell these people anything bad. We can make them happy. We can say whatever it is that uh, that they would like to hear. And we can cut out all the, the the bad stuff that doesn't make us feel good and really focus on the good part. And we're making a big difference. And by doing that, now we've taken complete focus off the next life because if there's no bad place after this life then why do we need to focus on that at all? If we're all just going to end up in the good place, then we definitely need to focus right now. Because if we're all going to end up in, the, in heaven, there, we don't need to worry about focusing on that. We can focus on just making this life the best as possible. So again, Gully speaks to the heart of Christianity when he says, if the church were Christian, if the church were Christian, we would do what Jesus did. Now, what did Jesus do? Well, according to him, Jesus equipped We would equip one another to live better in this world and stop fretting about the next one. Yes. I mean, didn't even Jesus use the example when the tower fell on the people, and he said, and everybody's like, "Oh Jesus, why did this happen?" And he's like, "Let's not worry about why that happened. Let's just worry about where you are, Mm -hmm. or else something worse is going to happen to you in the afterlife." Exactly. And And that's that's what I mean. Honestly, when when you come down to it they're making more work for themselves of going through the Bible and saying, this part we're not going to use this part we'll use because this is good. It's sure. It's more convicting and maybe doesn't feel so good all the time to read some of what the Bible says because it does cut deep, but it's way easier to just read it and take it for what it says, as opposed to going through and be like, I don't feel good after reading that one. That one's no good going forward. Right. And, but that's, the, the fact that he's saying what Jesus did was he equipped what we, we, he equipped other people in this world to stop fretting about the next. We already saw one example about how he's saying, I'm going to prepare this place. Julie. Do you know, does he discourage people from reading the Bible? Do they even, they must not want their followers to read the Bible. Do they, do you know? So that's, I'm not entirely sure of, now I, I'm not exactly sure of what their meetings entirely would look like. Like, would he get up and say, turn into this passage, or does he just get up and present it as more of a speech, and then they're just there kind of trusting that what he's saying? That, that's, that's another thing. I know uh, there's, there's many, I mean, um, there's many Catholics that I've talked to in my life where a lot of them might not have their own Bible, and they they go to the services, they hear what the priest says, and that, I mean, I've... I've I've spent time with Catholic people, and they would say, now they've done some sort of studying for their catechism, right, in order to be confirmed. But again, in that, they're being taught the Bible or outside of the Bible as well from the Catholic perspective. And they would ask questions. Well, doesn't the Bible say this? Or doesn't the Bible say this? But no, it does But they just kind of take what the priest has said as, you know. Now, whether or not he says this is in the Bible, I think a lot of times, specifically with Catholics, and I don't want to pick on Catholics, but with Catholics, you know, they have a lot of different rules and regulations, things that they got to do. And so if you've just always been grown up, you've grown up your whole life in this, and this is what you've always been taught, and it's being taught alongside the Bible, like we read a verse here, and then we say you have to do this here, and you kind of go back and forth, it all blends together as one, where now this rule and regulation, well, it must be in the Bible, And so I think there's a lot of that. Yeah, I mean. Either that or, I mean, the fact that he, you know, he teaches and writes books on the stuff that we're looking at right now and what we've been studying. I don't know that he might just write books and, you know. You know, reference and say, and he's going to, he's going to pick out passages and cut out just the portions of the passages that back of what he's trying to teach. Um, so I don't know the actual answer of, uh, and I would have to imagine that if these people would think for themselves, they would open the Bible and, and read. Cause like, again, people who take passages out of context, sometimes they're just taking it out of context because they're reading this one verse and they're not reading it as a whole. Um, now, if somebody were re- it, sitting in a meeting like that and they read, and then they read on be like, oh, that's not what this verse is saying at all, right? So, I don't know the exact answer of how, you know, these kind of churches, like, I, it, it could be, th- this is another reason why a lot of, um, spe- especially more traditional churches, are against putting the Bible on the screen. Because, um, now again, I don't believe there's anything wrong with putting the Bible on the screen. I, pref- I do prefer having people read because the Bible tells us, right, exactly, to so that we don't just take what we hear as, as truth, that we measure it up to. Because how are we going to call out the false teachers like this if we're not following along and reading what the Bible says? So that's, you know, more traditional, more conservative churches would be against putting a Bible verse up on the screen because once you start doing that, it is a lot easier to just pick and choose whichever ones you do. And then people, well, they just put it on the screen, so I don't need my own Bible. I don't need to read the Bible. So um, this idea of they, they, they prioritize the, the horizontal over the vertical. Again, focusing on equipping one another. Right? He says that that's what Jesus did. He equipped other people to live better in this world and stop fretting about the next one. And as I read through these different things, and Pastor John, he gave me the, the book that he's been referencing for this um, so that I can kind of go along. And just the way that he writes and words different things, um, first of all, it uh, he's blatantly belittling people who believe the actual Bible, right? When he's talking about imaginary dangers of imaginary places, oh, you guys are just playing make-believe. It's just all made up in your head. Um, or this idea of, well, stop fretting about the next one to come. You're just t- spending your time worrying and fretting when really just focus on what's going on here. Um, and, it's, and we saw that in the video. If you were here when we were watching the video, of they were he had an entire room laughing about, well, would God really be that upset about somebody eating an apple? And there's so much in, in, in just that phrase because it wasn't, well, first of all, Baba Bible doesn't tell us it's an apple. So there's that issue. Um, that's really fringe though. But... Just the fact that he 's saying, "Oh, uh, would he be so mad about just eating it was the, Yes, that was the physical act, but really the sin happened when she when Eve and Adam they bought into the lie of what the serpent was saying. they bought into the lie that this is better than what you already have, that this will make you wiser than god so and then he he, he said that, and the whole room kind of laughs like yeah oh, it 's crazy that people think that um, and Again, thats it's so sad to see that people are to the point where they, they laugh at that. But the fact that they're laughing and scoffing and ignoring what this says, that's going to be the exact reason that they are condemned to that very real place of hell. It's not imaginary. Um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Deceiving, half-truth. Um, And then also kind of the the serpent, the way he said it to Eve was like, do you really believe that that, you know, he told you that. Do you really believe that? So not only is he saying it's not true, but you're kind of nuts for thinking that, right? So belittling. Now, Jesus himself, he believed in a literal hell. And those outside of Christ will be cast into an an eternal punishment. Man's greatest problem is sin and the need for a savior. So, again, Jesus himself, he believed in, in, a, in a very literal and real hell. Um, also, the third way that they kind of come to this conclusion of this 10th commandment is claiming uncertainty while espousing certainty. Again, this is something that we've kind of seen in, in uh, more than one of these commandments. Um, and also one of the more infuriating aspects when it comes to like it just does not make even logical sense to do this is the claiming uncertainty while espousing certainty what does that mean well this is the key move of progressives to claim uncertainty on the front end but then slip your own uncertain convictions into the picture later and we've seen that we're going to look at a couple more um examples of that but we've seen uh gully kind of show that again Give examples of that. But also an example of this is that gully, he does not believe in a literal hell. Okay, we've already picked up on that what we've already seen him say. And yet he never backs up this view with anything of substance. He just doesn't believe it. And he says he doesn't believe it. And he's counting on his conviction being true because he wants it to be true. Okay. And we're going to get into a little bit more of this of claiming uncertainty while, you know, espousing certainty. But he he claims this because he wants it to be true. We would all want that to be true, right? We We don't want there to be a place of eternal suffering, right? We don't want to think that anybody would have to go to a place like that. But that place has to exist because there has to be a place for the people who don't submit to the fact that God is the creator of the universe. We sinned against him. And so there has to be a punishment because God is just. Um, and, but the whole fact that God is just, that would be one of the portions of the Bible that they kind of cut out. We're going to really focus in and really zoom in and magnify the part that says God is love. We're going to ignore the part that says he's just, because if we believe he's just, then there's got to be some sort of punishment. So, Um, he does not believe in a literal hell and yet he never backs us up with anything, anything of substance. And he's counting on this conviction to be true because he wants it to be true. Gully says, I decided not to invest any effort in saving people's souls from a hell I didn't believe in. So again, the, the, the the message of that, but also the wording of that continues on with what we've talked about. Uh, I did not want to invest any effort in saving people's souls from a hell I didn't believe in. And yet... He also speaks as though he is a humble seeker of truth when he says this. I've not yet arrived at a definitive understanding of God, and I suspect I never will. So I haven't figured God out. I don't think I'm ever going to figure him out, but I I don't believe that this place hell exists. So I'm not going to worry about spending any time of saving people from a place. Yeah. So that's what we mean by this claiming uncertainty while espousing certainty. Right, he he claims I, and again he he's kind of presenting it in a humble manner. Right, you said he thinks highly of himself, but saying I have not yet arrived at a definitive understanding of God, and I suspect I never will. Now, we would all probably agree that we have not come to a definitive understanding of God, but I think that we will eventually once we are with Him in eternity, we'll get to have a much greater picture. Um, but he's saying this, saying it in a humble a humble manner. But he also says, I decided not to invest any effort in saving people's souls from a hell I didn't believe in. That's a pretty just black and white bold statement of, I don't believe that there is a hell. Okay? And so he's, he's teaching that as if it's truth, but then saying he hasn't figured God out altogether, and he doesn't think that he will. But the the crazy thing to me is that we were talking about people thinking logically or not looking into it themselves is people would read these two quotes or they would hear him say it and maybe just not even think anything of it because they would, you know, again, we like to hear things that we like to hear. And I think a lot of times we even focus in on that. Um, We talked uh, Thursday night in men's Bible study. It's a Bible study on prayer, the battle plan for prayer. And uh, we were talking about, uh, how did it come up? About maybe ignoring God's answers to our prayers. And we got to talking about how maybe we end up ignoring God's answers to our prayers, or we think we're not hearing them. But it's because when we're asking God for something, we either want or expect a specific answer. And when we're not hearing that answer, then, well, we don't hear him. He hasn't answered. But really, we're ignoring. And he's he's answered the whole time. It just wasn't one that we expected or one that we wanted. And so... Just this idea of ignoring the, the, the harsh thing, the convicting thing, because maybe God's answer is something that we don't want to hear. So I don't want to hear. I'm really going to focus and just wait until I hear something that I like. And that might be what these people are, you know, I guess guilty of is listening to when he says the humble thing of I haven't yet figured out God. I don't think I ever will. And ignore the fact that he's straight up saying there is no hell. I don't believe that there's a hell. So it's pretty crazy that he can have both of those. Yeah.
1: I also think that, like, him saying, like, it might seem humble that him saying that he can't figure out God, but also that's that's him putting himself above God. Like, oh, he just, I can't understand, like, I don't understand, like, what what he is all about. But then, like you said, he just goes into saying that he can't save people because he doesn't believe mm-hmm. in a little, oh, that's putting himself above God. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Like intellect is God. Yeah. So yes, that's, that's true.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. and that 's it is he doesn 't want to understand God as He is, because he says i haven 't come to a definitive understanding of God, and as we already said while we 're here on this earth we 're not going to get a definitive understanding of God, but God does a really good job of presenting himself and telling us who He is in the Bible. We have to read it and and believe what it says, but that 's not what he 's doing so now as we as we see these different phrases, do you see what he 's doing here he 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 gives, he definitively makes a statement about hell not being real and a a place that he believes in, but leads other, and he also leads others to the same conclusion, but then he says, I've not yet arrived. So if, if somebody told me something like that, says, this is a definitive statement and then followed up with, I've not yet arrived. I would think that the, the logical, the smart person would be like, then why have I been listening to you? Why have I been listening to what you had to say? Um, but again there's a reason why somebody like kruger writes this book because he's exposing the truth because there are so many people who are believing these things so the conclusion that we we should that we need to be pulling away from this of how do we look at this 10th commandment that they have how do we then look at that and say, what do we do going forward? How do we address it going forward? Well, again, the final commandment outlines the three major tenets of progressive Christianity. So this tenth one, we can look at it and say, this kind of summarizes their main pillars, their foundation, however you want to phrase it. The final commandment outlines the three major tenets, which are focus on man instead of God. And I'll, I'll uh, repeat these as well, because I... I, I wrote these down in my own notes as important. Focus on man instead of God. Downplay doctrine for morality. Downplay doctrine for morality. So again, we don't need to have super structured and you know strong teachings. We just again need to make sure that we're doing good, that we're being nice to people. Um, and then the third one is claim uncertainty all the while being very certain of your own beliefs. Claim uncertainty, all the while being very certain of your own unbeliefs. So I'll go ahead and read through the three again. First one, focus on man instead of God. Remember, that's that horizontal as opposed to vertical focus. Um, Second one is downplay doctrine for morality. Now, again, that idea of downplaying doctrine, uh, it's that kind of half-truth kind of thing. We're not going to throw out doctrine. We're still saying that it's necessary to an extent, um, even though they kind of cut it up and just include what they want to include. But we're going to elevate morality over the doctrine. Uh, And then the third one, claim uncertainty, all the while being very certain of your own beliefs. So... True and biblical Christianity is based on the person and work of Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection for the sinful world. And who calls, anyone who calls on his name will be saved and granted eternal life by grace through faith. Again, that's just straight out of the book, okay? That wasn't anything that we had to, you know, edit, cut a certain part out, add a certain thing in to make it sound a little sweeter. That's just straight out of the book. Yet, while we all live in this life, we are indwelled with the Spirit, if we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, and given the word that we might produce fruit that will bless others and their struggles, bless us and glorify God. So again, talk, going back to the original thing, of because I think it's important to also acknowledge that some of the things that they say, again, we can agree on some of the things that they say, because again, uh, this life is important. We need to make sure that we're using every opportunity we can to serve God and doing that by witnessing to the world around us so that the world around us can then put their faith and trust in him for that more important eternal life. Um, and, and it is important to address the, the struggles of this world and to minister to people in that way. And, but understanding that we aren't trying to fix these things that are a problem with the world. Because we know, again, that the root of these problems in the world are sin. We cannot fix that sin. There's nothing that we can do uh, to attain that. There's no works that we can amount uh, in order to do that. And it's all about focusing on recognizing that the Bible is true. That's the foundation. Anytime anybody, you know, says any one of these Ten Commandments or if they say any kind of that's unfamiliar to us, but might sound good. And I believe we talked about this when we first started this whole series is that we need to be able to use wisdom and discernment. And that's why we do read the Bible ourselves so that when we are reading through a book, when we are listening to a speaker or a preacher or a teacher and, or we hear somebody say these different things, we can say, okay, that sounds good on the surface, but how does it match up with the Bible? And spend time studying the Bible and seeing what it, how it compares. Um, and that's really what all of these Ten Commandments come back to. Is when we hear things like this, immediately go to the Bible. See what God's word has to say about this. And understand that as we maybe run into people who believe these different things. As we hear people or maybe see people on Facebook sharing reposting. And we might even have been at some point, you know, guilty of seeing something that it, on the surface seemed like it was it was biblical and we shared it, but if we kind of dig down into it, it, it actually isn't. So, again, that's why we need to uh, be diligent in our discernment of making sure that we're testing all these things. And when it comes to it, it's, it's great to read books, you know, Christian books uh, to, to gain knowledge, uh, see other people's perspectives. But, again, reading it with discernment and understanding that the Bible is the, the one true source. And so as we run into people who say or believe these things, um, we need to remind them of what the Bible says. But again, at the same time, doing it in love. But not to the extent of what somebody like Gully would do of, well, I need to share the truth with love. So I'm going to cut out the truth that hurts. We need to understand that if we're sharing the truth of the Bible and it hurts somebody, I'm not the one who's hurting them. Um, And really that hurt that they're feeling is just the conviction that, that, that God is, is having them feel because their sin is wrong. And so as we understand this better for ourselves, um, it's, it's, I think it's important that we learn how to share this with others um, in a loving way. But in that loving way that we are still presenting the Bible as is. So um, does anybody have any other comments um, or thoughts they may have had uh, before we wrap and close? Yes. I mean, there's a million Mm-hmm. I mean, that reminds
1: me of the um, screw tape letter of mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis. It's like a playbook by demons on how to deceive Christians. And if you really look at any of those ten commandments, what's missing in all of it? The gospel. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. that's your mission field and that's what that, so that works because of the glory of god because of what christ has done in your heart because he's cleaned you of your sins and you have hope for you yeah i mean it just seems like, like well such a despair, you know? yeah and that's so for me the the two main things i guess the two main uh feelings that i have that come out of this the study that we've done is one i guess like just infuriating anger towards the teachers of this stuff um, just because you're clearly ignoring what the Bible has to say. But then thinking about the people who um, are submitting themselves to this teaching and hearing it and taking it for truth and basing their lives on it, those are going to be the people who, you know, get before God and say, look at all these things we've done for you. And that's just devastating to think about that they, they thought that they were doing the right because it's presented by somebody who's who's using biblical and Christian type words and referencing certain passages in the Bible, and so it seems like it's the right thing. Um, but they're going to point and say, "Look at all these things," and he's going to say, "Depart from me, I never knew you." Yes, yeah, and so that's the, the two things I, I really kind of take away from this is just um, just kind of in, in trying not to you know, be sinful about the anger, but uh just kind of angry towards the people teaching and perpetuating these kind of things. And then just the, you know, just the hurt for the people who are listening and believing. And really the anger would be towards Satan anyway. That's true, he's the, yeah. He's the one that has deceived these people mm-hmm. and, and convi- convincing them. They're just as deceived as the ones they're deceiving. Mm-hmm. Only they're going to be more accountable. Yeah. Because they were the ones perpetuating and teaching. Yeah. It's just, it is. The whole study is just infuriated. Yeah. And, And you know, you say, everybody says, do it in love, do it in love, which I agree, but to the one that you're speaking to, it does not sound like love.
1: No. And that's I know, but, mm-hmm. but when you
0: say, no, I am attempting <clears throat> to do it in love, but what I, I guess what I'm saying is don't expect them to receive it. No. If, if, yeah, because. think as well,
1: because they will not
0: no because again they're feeling that conviction yeah and I think the the key thing that you said is to be prepared and be ready and the Bible tells us to be ready to be able to share and, and, and give an answer and so we need to be in giving that answer we also need to be prepared to deliver it in love as you're saying but be prepared and know that even if we are that their response, like we can't deliver it in love as, as we believe the Bible is showing us how to deliver it. And then be shocked when they are all upset and be like, where did this come from? I said it in love. So we need to be prepared and expect that that's not going to be the response. Um, and that knowing, again, as long as we know that we're rooting what we're saying in the Bible. And we, we, we aren't going to be able to, um, we can't control how somebody perceives us. Um, we can't control anybody else's actions. We can only control what we're doing. So if we're preparing ourselves, spending time in his word for our, our own good, but also so that we can give an answer and so that we can share it with the world around us. And I, I mean, you, what you said is a very good point to remember that we need to make sure that we are also preparing ourselves and knowing how they are going to react. Um, in fact, it might it might kind of catch you off guard when they're like, oh, thank you so much, right? Because it's probably more than likely going to be a negative reaction. So, um, but I think, I think it really just comes down to as long as we are rooting what we are learning, what we are studying for ourselves, and what we are sharing in the word, then we know that we are doing what we need to be doing. And as as a church, we need to also be encouraging each other and keeping each other accountable in that aspect as well. Because that's why stuff like this continues to go on, because teachings like this does get into the church, And either people aren't checking the Bible themselves or they're not speaking up. So... Mm-hmm. Really, really leading off with the the painful truth is you know because again, yeah, yeah, and not beating around the bush, just getting to the the truth. Because who knows? We talked about how life is a vapor. We don't know how long that person has. So again, that idea of defining speaking it in love by the, how the Bible would and not the world, right? Mm-hmm. Right, he, like we have to give them truth in order for them to learn. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's also about calling before the Lord, going to all the nations and preach the gospel, <clears throat> which is the gospel is the good news that yeah. Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we can have hope in Him. And People don't like being told they're sinners, but they are. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if, and if we, um, truly understand that, and a lot of times it can be difficult to actually fully understand that and live that out because especially if it's somebody that we know personally and we have a relationship with, it can, uh, it can really weigh on you when it's not being received well or just being ignored. Um, and that's why, again, the, the church the the gathering is so important because we can come alongside and encourage be like no you 're doing what you need to be doing. um just continue to stay persistent and continue to pray um but so it it's a it's a very relieving feeling it's a relief of a burden to realize that I just have to deliver it and let God do it um but if you are somebody who's a little bit more type A, that can be a little bit more difficult to deal with and actually be like you know I just how you feeling now, right? How's that sitting with you today? So, um, but let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed. Dear God, I thank you for today once again for allowing us to be able to come in together and go uh, into your Word and see what your Word truly says. God, and I pray that whatever it might be, whether it be these these Ten Commandments of progressive Christianity or or any other kind of teaching that we might hear, whether it be on the radio, online, might read or see online in books. Um, that we would measure it up against your word every single time, that we would constantly just submit to you and your word as the ultimate authority, God, that we would trust that your word is true and that if there's any teaching, any writing, whatever it might be, that goes against it, that when we see that and recognize that, we immediately call it out uh, for what it is and that it is a lie. So I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would be discerning and have wisdom as we go throughout each and every day, as uh, false teachings and things like this are uh, more and more prevalent each and every day. I pray that we can be aware of those and be watching out for those and just clinging to the truth of your word. And I pray that we as a church could um, encourage each other in that aspect, God, that we can just encourage each other to continually go back to your word and that as a church, we would take that word out into the world. So, God, I pray you just keep us safe as we leave here and go our separate ways and just be with us as we go throughout our week. Uh, Think about um, Good Friday and Easter services coming up this weekend, that you would just bless those services, that you would be preparing the hearts of those who will be here, uh, that it would just be an amazing time of worship and going into your word, and that the gospel would um, uh, reach people who maybe has never reached before, God. Uh, And, again, just be with us as we leave here tonight. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.